Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Today we're going to conclude our series, our sermon series on directions. That's why you'll see all the arrows around in in the chapel. And spoiler alert, this message is about how we view God and how God wants us to live, and celebrating that, and celebrating God. But first, there's something I need to talk about. Uh, In my last teaching, I said some things that were not helpful. And for that, I apologize, and I'm sorry. I want you all to know something. I work in this church in part because I recognize that I have a privilege as a straight white male, that privilege isn't something that I take lightly. And so I want to use that privilege to be the best ally that I can be, to amplify the views and perspectives of people that maybe don't have access to a church pulpit, to speak to those people that have been told that maybe they don't belong in a church or aren't worthy of God's love for one reason or another, because that's not right. So I stand up here to help people reconstruct a faith where they've been told over and over again that they are not good enough, because that is antithetical to the beautiful, affirming, grace-giving love that we see in Jesus. So that's why I do this. And so when I say something that triggers some people, you can imagine how terrible I feel. Awful. Because that's exactly the opposite reason that I get up here. And that's the exact opposite thing that I stand for. So I'm here to say sorry, and thanks to you all for extending me some grace. Thank you. Okay, so today's message is as much for me as it is for many of you, I think, because the last week of my life has been awful, and not just with church stuff, but with family stuff as well, and maybe the last week has been hard for you, too, and I need to be reminded, and maybe you need to be reminded, that the presence of God is everywhere, 
even in those awful moments where you say something that's wrong, or in those awful moments when you're stuck in your head, or those awful moments when you're dealing with a family issue, or those awful moments when you're dealing with a health issue, whatever the case may be. Yeah, God sits there with us in those moments. And central to the life of God is a life of gratitude and awe, even when it appears that things are difficult. So today, we're gonna look upward, and we're gonna start at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter one. And we're gonna walk through these ideas today that are central to the idea of what it means to be a Christian and the story that we find ourselves in. So God creates the universe in Genesis 1, verse 1. And at the end of verse 10, God calls the creation good. Verse 10, God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, and God saw that it was good. Verse 17, God created light in the vault of the sky to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness, and it was good. Now this is a Mesopotamian creation story. The form or the genre is a poem. The literary style is a poem. When you read a phrase that keeps repeating, you may think about a song that has a hook or a chorus that comes up again and again, because the writer wants us to see that this chorus, God made this and it was good. God made that and it was good. The writer keeps repeating it. In verse 20, God creates the creatures of the water and the birds and it was good. Verse 25, God makes the animals of the field and it was good. And then there's a break in the rhythm because God creates people. And in verse 31, something is added. See if you can tell what it is. Because he says, God makes people and it was very good. Now the people that God made had a choice. Are they going to live in harmony with God and take God's creation and continue to work to move it forward? Or are they gonna steer it in a direction of their own choosing? In chapter three, so two chapters after chapter one, that's where we are introduced to the concept of the fruit and Adam and Eve. The first people choose to take it in a direction of their own meaning, outside the flow and harmony of that which is good. And sin enters the world. And sin is a disturbance in the peace between Adam and Eve. And there's a series of curses that happen in, verse th in chapter three. So in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God is talking to a serpent. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And this is kind of complicated language, but the idea here is that there will be conflict between people in the world that will continue because people have struggled and decided to live outside of God's way too often. So there's gonna be struggle between goodness and beauty and hatred and ugliness. And then in verse 16, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, 
With painful labor, you will give birth to children. In the message translation, it actually says, and then I will bring you an epidural and you shall rejoice. (laughs) That's not true. But the idea is simply this. To women, in moments of your greatest joy, you bringing a baby into the world, there will be great pain. And because of this distortion of creation, the moments of our greatest joy will sometimes be coupled with reminders that the world is not necessarily the way that God created it to be. Continuing in verse 16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This simply means that there will be a rift in relationships, struggles, manipulation. There will be struggles in relationships, sometimes a lack of intimacy and struggle at our deepest levels. Are we tracking? We'll pick it up in verse 17. And now God is talking directly to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. So here I think God is saying, yeah, you're going to struggle to pay the bills. You're going to say something in a church service that gets it wrong. You're going to deal with family issues. You're going to deal with health issues, and it's going to be work. And it's the kind of work where it's a struggle, where you're looking at the clock as it moves too slowly. It's this feeling that you work, and you work, and you work, and you die. And to this, we all say, yeah, we know how that is. Now, a couple observations about these two chapters. First, it's important to know that the story begins in chapter one and not in chapter three with the curse. Again, the story begins in chapter one. Death, destruction, and the grind are temporary invaders. They come on later in the story. It's not how God made things. It's not how God intends for it to be. And it isn't how it will be forever. Death, destruction, and the grind are temporary. But most importantly, no amount of human sin can push out the good. No amount can cancel out the good, erase the good. God made it and said, it is good. Death, disease, destruction are temporary influencers in a world that God loves, that God made, that God thinks is good. No amount of human sin or manipulation or abuse can push out what God said is good. So this has significant implications for how we live today as Christians. So next we're gonna flip over to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one, and we're gonna talk about something that happens over and over again in the scriptures. Now the rabbis have said there are 613 commands in the Hebrew Bible, and those are the things that God taught. As an aside, there are positive commandments, things that you're supposed to do, and negative commandments, things you're not supposed to do. 
And there are 365 negative commandments, equaling the number of days in a year. And 244 positive commandments, a number that at the time was ascribed to the number of bones and main organs in the human body. And there was a lot of talk about how to interpret these laws and which of these laws were the most important. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, before we get the greatest commandment, to love your God, to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, we get this in verse 6. These are the commands, the decrees, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. The key word here is enjoy. It's a word that if you look for it when you're reading the Bible, you'll actually see it over and over and over again. It's why I give you all these decrees and commands, God's saying, so that you can enjoy your life, so you'll enjoy creation. We're gonna continue our whip around the Old Testament and flip to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verse one. God is speaking here to a man named Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Verse three, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day, the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. So right off the bat here, what is God doing? God is commanding people to say, one day a week, you need to rest, reflect, enjoy yourself. Then, starting in verse 4, God starts to talk, talk to Moses that there are going to be a series of feasts, of festivals, parties, appointed festivals that are holy and consecrated. And there are seven of them in the Old Testament according to God, and they are huge parties, sometimes a week long, eating, drinking, partying. Some of these festivals to me sound like the modern day Coachella or Lollapalooza, hopefully not the fire festival. But we have the festival of unleavened bread, the first fruits festival, the festival of weeks, the festival of trumpets, the Festival of Trumpets, whenever I hear that, I think of like an earth, wind, and fire song that they play. But in verse 24, speak to the people of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of complete rest, a holy convocation commemorated with trumpet blasts. They're probably playing September, right? You shall not work at your occupations. You shall present the Lord's offerings by fire. Again and again, God is saying, I don't want you to always be working and grinding. You need to enjoy life. Do the things you like to do. Get out on a paddleboard. Fix up a camper van. Head out to Rocky Mountain National Park and hike up to Granite Falls. Celebrate and enjoy and throw a party. And if you insist on working, it's trouble 
Because look at what happens when you work on one of the festivals called the Day of Atonement. In verse 26, the Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the Day of Atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people, in case you're fuzzy about this. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall not do any work at all. So, ouch. God is serious about taking a step back and breathing. In verse 41, God talks about a seven-day party with a massive bonfire. Now, when we think about feasts and we think about festivals, I think it'd be easy to imagine a church community potluck dinner. And it was a party last night. We had 39, 40 people, and it was a great time. But these festivals, these are on a different level. In In the ancient Near East, a feast was often days on end. And it was often hiking there, so you'd have to leave early. And you'd go with family and friends and people from your village, and you'd be singing. In fact, some of the songs in Psalms are songs that they would sing as they went up the mountain to Jerusalem, songs of ascent. And there was a call and response in many of these songs. So when it was feast, It's not like a community dinner that disperses when the sun comes down because we can't go out on our paddle boards anymore. So central to the life of the scriptures is feasting. And by this, we don't mean just eating. We mean an entire way of living. Some of these would go for seven or eight days and you'd eat incredibly long meals and you'd tell stories and you'd sing songs, and traditions would be born out of these festivals. It was a whole way of living. And God says, if you insist on working during this time that I've commanded you to party, it's not going to be good. And I ask, is this the image of God that you've had in your head? A God that says, you need to cut back and relax and enjoy life and party, dot, 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 or else. And we may be thinking, gee, death is sure harsh. Is this really a matter of life and death? But if you don't celebrate and spend time reflecting, I think you're maybe already dying on the inside. Listen, for me, for the week I've had, for the summer I've had, I have to remind myself that sometimes we are all called to step out of our daily routine and our grind and just enjoy. And there's different ways to do that. Some are personal things that I do, and some are based in my communities. Personally, I'll sometimes grab my headphones and turn on a playlist with music that I love. People like the Avid Brothers, or Chris Stapleton, or Need to Breathe. And sometimes I'll sit on my couch and I'll just turn on a soccer match. And I'll watch the colors and the Just watch the beautiful game. Those are things that I can do individually to enjoy life. But God here is saying, yeah, but sometimes you need to do it in community. You need to get a festival of trumpets blowing. 
You need to hang out with your friends. You need to hang out with your coworkers. You need to hang out with your church family. And I hope this community becomes an outlet for some of you. It was great to see folks last night at the community dinner. It's one of the reasons that I feel it's important that we work to grow this community. Now, there's one thing that I wanna say. Some of you might be fighting depression. And you'll say, gee, parting is out of the question for me. I know I've been there before. And God understands that, and so do we. And we'll be praying with you for that depression to lift so that you can enjoy life and feel like yourself again. So the goodness of God isn't just seen at the beginning of Genesis. Throughout the scriptures, celebrating and affirming the goodness of God and taking time to feast and worship and celebrate, that's central to God's world. If you don't know how to enjoy life, that's something we need to work on. If you don't know how to have a party, that's something we need to work on because God commands that we do those things. And what conceptions of God were you taught? The God that parties well and that commands you to feast? The God that says you will rest or I'll knock you off? Is that the God that you were taught about? No. It wasn't a God that I was necessarily taught about because I was taught about a God that looks a lot more like the Greek God Zeus than the Hebrew God. One final big idea and then we'll close it down. Mark chapter six, verse eight. Jesus has sent out his disciples to preach and teach. Verse eight, he says, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Here he's talking to the apostles and his disciples and telling them to go out and help spread the message of Jesus. And if any place you will not, will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, as you do, and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Okay, so what's happening here? We've heard, we've talked about how the apostles were all young, young people, teenagers. Maybe Peter was 21, but most folks think the other disciples and apostles were younger than that. And Jesus says, go out with no money, no iPhones, no Samsung, no Nalgene bottles. Find a person of peace in that town, stay with those people, and they'll take care of you. And if you see someone that's sick, help them. And then come back. And we'll pick it up in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported, finally reported to him all they had done and taught. And they probably had story after story after story about their fun adventures. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Apparently following Jesus isn't just about work, isn't just about serving, about doing good things for people. So they finally get back to Jesus and they're like, and then we did this and then we did this and then we did this. And Jesus is like, great, now step away. 
relax, rest. Because the Christian life is not about work. There are moments in the rhythm of true spirituality where you play, you rest, you eat and tell stories, and you don't worry that you're not earning your keep. Christian life isn't all about going somewhere else and producing and serving, because there are moments commanded by God to feast, to party, to enjoy, to rest, to withdraw. And I think it all comes down to this. God doesn't love us for what we do. God loves us for who we are. God created us, and it was good. And that's something we need to remember, even in our darker moments. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us that creation is good. And thank you for teaching us of the best ways to live. Thanks for demonstrating the importance of rhythm in our lives of the need to go and go, but also the need to stop and rest and celebrate and feast. Thank you for the example of Jesus in our lives. It's in his name we pray, amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you.